Victory in the Cold War was a start as well as an ending, November the 10th, 2009. A crisis is a strange way to celebrate an anniversary. This is the wry judgment of Eric Bergloff, chief economist of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. Yet a crisis is what we see in countries that began the march from communism two decades ago. So has capitalism failed as communism once did? In a word, no. Some transition countries are in crisis. Transition itself is not. The same judgment applies elsewhere. Capitalist countries are now in crisis. Capitalism itself is not. But reforms are necessary. The great virtue of liberal democracies and market economies is their ability to reform and adapt. They have shown these qualities before. They must do so once again. For those born like me shortly after the Second World War, the Cold War was the defining intellectual and political struggle of our lifetimes. With the collapse of communism ended a catastrophic epoch of millenarian politics and the delusion of a rationally planned economy. The freedom offered by democracy and the prosperity supplied by markets won. The fact that communism expired not with a bang, but with a whimper, we owe largely to Mikhail Gorbachev. Yet 2009 is a sobering year from which to look back. A year ago, capitalism careered over a cliff. With vast effort, states have put it back on the road. According to Pierre Giorgio Alessandri and Andrew Haldane of the Bank of England in a superb new paper, the total gross value of interventions on behalf of banks has been $14 trillion. This is state capitalism. What then does this crisis mean for the countries that existed from socialism two decades ago? And what too does it mean for the world? For the former, it has meant big falls in output. According to the EBRD, the fall in the gross domestic product of transition countries will average 6.2% in 2009. But declines vary widely from 18.4% in Lithuania, 16% in Latvia, 14% in Ukraine and 13.2% in Estonia, depression numbers, to 7.8% in Slovenia, 6.5% in Hungary, 6% in Slovakia and 4.3% in the Czech Republic. Poland's economy is forecast to grow this year by 1.3%. In general, notes the EBRD, and I quote, the size of the output declines correlates with pre-crisis credit booms and external indebtedness, end of quote. The bursting of bubbles hurts. These collapses are real and worrying, but they need to be put in context. First, many countries in transition experienced big increases in output after the initial and largely inevitable post-Soviet collapse. Poland was the star. In general, the successful countries were those that reformed most seriously. Second, surprisingly perhaps, transition countries have made few reversals of reforms. As the EBRD report notes, and I quote, government changes since early 2008 have either led to no change with respect to the reform stance or indeed favoured pro-reform parties. This is quite consistent with what is happening in the emerging world more broadly. The absence of a credible alternative economic model is evident. Populist adventurism also seems unattractive. As recovery begins to gather force across the world economy, the great legacies of the collapse of the Soviet Empire, the integration of much of Europe, and the concomitant spread of freedom to Russia's borders, if not beyond, remain intact. Yet the crisis brings important lessons. 
the philosopher Karl Popper laid down the right approach. He distinguished the piecemeal social engineering intended to ameliorate specific ills from the utopian social engineering intended to transform society in its entirety, a name that in practice, and I quote, has led only to the use of violence in place of reason, end of quote. The reformer must identify the cause of the malady before attempting treatment. In the case of this crisis, the failure lies not so much with the market system as a whole as with defects in the world's financial and monetary systems. Some of these failings are inescapable. The future is inherently uncertain, so big mistakes will be made. Where prevailing paradigms lead to risk-taking on an excessive scale, the corrections are likely to be brutal. Where risk-taking also involves large-scale leveraging of the balance sheets of the financial sector, Corrections are likely to mean a collapse in both intermediation and the economy. Should such collapse not be prevented, the consequences may, history tells us, be dramatic. Happily, governments and central banks have learnt the lessons of the 1930s and decided, rightly, to prevent collapses of either the financial system or the economy. That is precisely the right kind of piecemeal social engineering. Similarly, big efforts have been made to rescue the crisis-hit countries of Central and Eastern Europe. Thus, support from the International Monetary Fund and the European Union has been between 4 and 6% of GDP for the four Eastern European countries that have accepted IMF programs. A similar pragmatism must now be shown in completing the escape from the crisis. That will require substantial rebalancing of global demand. And it would also require further reform. For transition countries, a reversal of financial integration is likely to be costly and unnecessary. The principal goals of their reforms must instead be to make their economies less vulnerable to shocks and to curb excessive credit growth in future. Similarly, at a global level, radical reforms must be made in the financial and monetary systems. To put it bluntly, the banking system has been gaming the taxpayer on an intolerable scale. This must end in one of two ways. The sector must either be made subject to the market or become a heavily regulated ward of the state. Again, the curbing of huge credit bubbles must be an integral element in the formation of regulatory and monetary policies. And finally, the dependence of the global monetary system on the currency of an over-indebted superpower is neither desirable nor sustainable. Anniversaries are an excellent time for taking stock. The collapse of Soviet communism was a glorious moment. It remains so despite the mistakes and disappointments along the way. But today's crisis tells us of the failings of a euphoric capitalism. Capitalism will not now perish, as communism once did, but the signal ability of liberal democracy is to learn and adapt. We learnt from the 1930s, and we must now learn the lessons of the 2000s.